Uh, today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. So if you are able, would you stand with me as I read God's word? So, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three man, men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. So let me pray. Father, thank you for, for today. God, would you illuminate uh, just the scriptures for us today and, and speak through Ryan. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. That's how you know the Bible's true, because there's a lot of awkward moments in it, right? I mean, if you're writing a novel... Uh, you would you would not have put that. Uh, you know, we've been trucking through the book of Genesis for about 20 or 21 weeks now. And uh, it's been such an amazing journey for us because we've been able to, to hone in and see some details of God's redemption that, that I really didn't notice before. Maybe many of you did. Uh, and so really, I, the question is, what is the theme of the book of Genesis? That's the question I found myself asking myself today, and, and usually when I can't answer something, I usually say, uh, what would Kim Teller, Tim Keller say? And so, uh, so we'll see what he says here about what the theme of Genesis is. He says this, the theme of Genesis is how God fulfills his promises uh, to Abraham unconditionally, and through those promises, restores the world lost in Eden. So one of the, the, the big things we looked at in the book of Genesis is life in the Garden of Eden. I think a lot of times we as the church tend to start with a Genesis 3 understanding of God instead of a Genesis 1. Amen? And so Genesis 1, understanding of God, shows the fellowship that humanity was intended to have with God. And if you could pick one word to describe a pre-fall Eden world with God, what would it be? I picked friendship. Friendship, friendship with the Lord. I think that's what was lost in the garden, among other things. Uh, and this, this friendship that is birthed through relating to God is meant to extend to one another. Um, but the fall has broken us so much and sin has distorted so much of our lives 
that many of us can't imagine having one good friend. Nevertheless, being friends with God. And so uh, now we enter, enter Abraham, right, and his story into the book of Genesis. God pursues Abraham and his family in Genesis chapter 12, calls him out of this foreign land where they're worshiping false gods. And he says, come and, he says, come and follow me and I'll show you the land that I'm gonna give to you. And I'm gonna give you offspring uh, and I'm gonna give you this land. And so uh, the Lord begins this promise to Abraham as Abraham obeys. This, we said that, that, that this covenant that he makes with, with Abraham is like a rose that unfolds. It, it kind of gets more and more beautiful over time. And so what we see in Genesis 12 is that God makes the, the promise to him, calls him out. Genesis 15, he puts Abraham to sleep and cuts him into this covenant. That this, this covenant is now, it belongs to Abraham. Uh, and God is gonna do all of the work that's required for Abraham to be uh, uh, in covenant, in relationship with God. Genesis 17 then gets a little more close where God literally cuts Abraham into the covenant. That, that he's a part of this covenant relationship with God and he's, he's called to, to circumcise all of the male descendants when they're eight days old because they are children of the covenant as well. And now this week, the question is, after God has done everything imaginable to show Abraham that he belongs to the Lord, it's time for world domination, right? It's time for this kingdom of God just to go you know, to the moon. What's the first thing that God wants to do with Abraham? Have dinner with him. Have a meal with him. Not to get busy doing a bunch of ministry, not to go conquer a bunch of kingdoms, but the fellowship with Abraham. It's the craziest thing. He's all in, no turning back, and he wants to restore his friendship to Abraham. James chapter 2 verse 23 shows us this. James 2 says this, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We've said, hey, this is kind of like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, right? Abraham believed what God said and he was righteous because of it. That's Genesis 15.6. But what comes after it is the benefit of believing God and being righteous. And he was called a friend of God. Think about that. He was called a friend of God. You might ask, how was he called a friend of God? You know, it's it's... It's, like our, our, it's more like our friendships with one another than we would you know, dare to believe. You know, if you wanna hang out with me, what are you gonna do? You're gonna go to Publix, you're gonna get some of those really thick steaks uh, from, the, you know, from the butcher section and you're gonna show up at my front door and you're gonna say, let's hang out. I'm gonna drop everything, fire up the grill and we're gonna hang out, right? I'm gonna clear my schedule, we're gonna spend time together. Do you know how much of Jesus's ministry in the kingdom was built around the table? You know how much of it was? Go back and look at it. Jesus loved to spend time with people. Jesus is God's very heart to us, is he not? He's showing us this here in Genesis 18 today. God shows up at Abraham's door to have dinner with him. And I find it interesting because it's so amazing because it shows the heart of God to restore fellowship to us all, to restore friendship to us, that the first thing that he wants to do is to break bread with us. But it's our temptation to live our lives thinking that God just wants something from us, isn't it? We, we, we think that Genesis 18.1 should say, hey, Abraham, go do a bunch of ministry and show your worth. But what God does instead is he says, hey, let's take some time here. Let's spend some time together. What if the thing God wants most is our fellowship and union with him? 
Not ministry, not money, not even primarily your obedience. That'll come because Jesus has saved you and you believe in him and your obedience will follow that. But so much of the time, we, it's like we're making all these deposits, trying to earn God's friendship, and he's already at the door. What if our friendship with God is intended to lead to friendship with others where the miraculous unfolding of the kingdom of heaven could be on display? What if we related to God vertically in such a way that knit us horizontally to one another and God's kingdom was just on display in the world? I think that is what this is showing us that we were made for today. Here's our big idea, and then we'll get into it today. God's covenant love is expressed through friendship. God's covenant love is expressed through friendship. So what I want to look at is what friendship with God entails, especially from Genesis 18. This won't be um, uh, overly exhaustive, but I'm just going to draw out some things from Genesis 18 that show us what it means to be a friend of God, but also a friend to others. Uh, And the three things are really this, that uh, friendship with God is hospitable, that friendship with God is mutual, and that friendship with God, like we saw with Sarah at the end, is honest. It's honest. Let's dig into this. Friendship with God is hospitable. Okay, I'm going to read the first eight verses of Genesis 18. Again, you've kind of got the overview of what we're looking at today. Now I want you to pay attention and not overlook the first verse that we dig into today. All right, here we go. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. This is the key right here. The Lord appeared. And he sat, uh, as Abraham sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Okay, so if the Lord appeared to him and there were three men that stood in front of him, one of those people has to be the Lord, right? Good, all right, let's keep going. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they, the the three men, one of them being the Lord, Uh, It says, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three sias of fine flour kneaded and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and, and took a calf tender and good. And he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the, and the calf that he had prepared. And he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So here we got it. Abraham is hanging out by the door of his tents, like us hanging out on our front porch Um, And it's hot because it's the middle of the desert. And Abraham sees three people approaching. And verse one tells us that one of them is the Lord because the Lord appears to him. Um, But the Lord's evidently put on flesh. Uh, And not only is he a man, but he's a man uh, that's hot and hungry and tired. Did you know that was possible? And he's in need of refreshment. Now we're gonna get more to this in a second when I talk about how friendship is mutual, but Abraham knows what it's like to be in this foreign land and to have the need to be refreshed because that's been his story. It's been his journey. But in these days, hospitality uh, wasn't just uh, a God thing. It wasn't just like, you know, if God shows up, make sure to answer the door, right? It wasn't that. Hospitality permeated the culture, believers and unbelievers, but especially 
believers extended hospitality. There were no such things as hotels. It was the homes of Christians in the early, early church that extended hospitality. Now, so, so he's out waiting for someone to serve at the, the front of the tent. He's eager to extend hospitality. Um, and, uh, and, and what we see that, that Abraham is extremely involved in this event, isn't he? Think about this. He's got about 1,000 people in his house, give or take, I would say. He's got 318 men we know. They went and they took over some kingdoms and, you know, they, they, they just, and they're, they have families, right? We have Hagar, we have Lot. We got a lot of people in the house, in the tents that are in his, in his camp. Abraham could have, he could have hired that out to anybody, right? He could have hired that out. He could have said, hey, you go do this, you go do that. Uh, come get me when everything's done. Abraham was a part of the process. He brought in Sarah to help out and brought in the young man that, that went in and took the uh, calf that he picked out. But Abraham is involved in the process. And here's, here's the thing that I think it shows us is that ultimately hospitality cannot be hired out. We have a whole industry in the United States called the hospitality industry. Some of you work in it. The hospitality that God has in mind is personal. Sometimes we're tempted to hire out even our spiritual hospitality with God. And when we do that, we live off the faith or the worship of someone else. We don't get to experience the oneness and the unity and the hospitality of God in our hearts. Or physically we do that. I mean, the Uber Eats, right? We're just gonna, you know, just, just, just be quick, hire it out instead of cooking a meal, inviting our neighbors over and lingering around the table like we've got nothing else to do today. There's something that God does when we linger around his word and let him have his way in our hearts. In the church, there's something physically that God does when we get around the table. I mean, is the whole re- isn't it interesting that Jesus tells us to remember him by getting around a table together? There's something about it, something about our fellowship with God that, that he wants to show with us around this table. Even when you look at Genesis, Genesis 12, God is kind of far off. He's, he's disembodied, a voice calling to God. Genesis 15, he's, he's performing this, this covenant, cutting this covenant. Abraham still doesn't see him. Genesis 17, um, God, God puts the sign on him. Genesis 18, they're having dinner together. Now, if you think about that as a progression of your own walk with the Lord, where are you at? Is God still disembodied, kind of calling you out of sin? You don't really know who he is. You're in Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Yeah, like I'm, I'm a part of the family. I'll show up at church, but it's kind of clocking in, clocking out. Genesis 17, yeah, I've been baptized. I take the Lord's table, but I still really live off the pastor or, or my small group leader's time with the Lord. Or do you have that Genesis 18 kind of hospitality? Are you, do you experience that oneness with God? Because you were made for that, friend. You were made to be a friend of God. And he has done everything to extend that to you. Genesis 3.20. I want to remind you that all of this is happening. God's having dinner with, with Abraham and they're enjoying one another's friendship and fellowship together. All while Abraham is incomplete. He's still a mess. God is still hammering out his holiness in Abraham's life through this entire process. Because I think our temptation is to say, I've got to work myself up to that kind of a friendship and fellowship with God. And because I have these things going on in my life, I can never experience it. That's not what we see in Abraham's life. Abraham has dinner with God and he's going to sin again, a bunch actually, right? So God is not disappointed in Abraham's sanctification. 
He's going to discipline him. He's going to rebuke him. He's going to lead him as a friend will, but he's not perfect. So even in the midst of his own mess and sinfulness, he still experiences friendship with God, oneness with God. It's the same invitation that Jesus extends to you. Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, that includes me, that includes you, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Church, that is the invitation of the Christian that Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And the question is, do we really let him in or not? Or do we just kind of look at the ring camera and say, I'm busy, right? You know, on your phone, some of y'all have that. I got it. It's cool. But we, or do we just say, oh, you know, it's, you know I, don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to linger with the Lord. I don't have time to spend with him right now. Because your God desires to show up in your life even as you struggle with sin, Uh, But the question is, are you ready to receive the Lord Jesus? Are you ready to receive his presence to the degree that he wants to give it to you in your heart, to the level of a friend? Do you have time to settle down with Jesus for a meal? Jesus desires for you to be so close to him that it's like dinner with a friend with no agenda. That's what he longs for, to be friend to us. Now, when you have this type of friendship with God, You're not perfect, but God's perfect, and he's still fellowshipping with you as you walk before him as Abraham was doing that we looked at last week. We then extend hospitality to one another. The great commandment, anybody know what it is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. What's the second part of that? I always forget it. To love your, as yourself. It seems like the two are connected for Jesus, right? To love God with all we have, and to love neighbor as self, which we love self more than anything else. So love your neighbor as much as you can. They're always connected for Jesus. So this hospitality that we have with God that is evidence in Abraham's life, we are intended to share with other people. Uh, Abraham was close to God. He wasn't perfect, but he was close to God. And we can be close to God too, even though we're not perfect. Um, w- when I don't make time to share my life with other people, do you know when I trace it back, to the root of why I don't do that, you know what it always is? Is that I'm not experiencing oneness with God. Like from a justification standpoint, yeah, I'm one with God. But from a, a joy and a, a, just a feasting a presence of God in my life, I, I make time for people whenever I'm experiencing intimacy with God. It's just the reality, the two are connected. It's interesting, the writer of Hebrews talks about this moment that Abraham has. Uh, He says this in Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. So that that kind of outward horizontal love, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for some have entertained angels unawares. He's talking about Abraham. He's talking about this situation with Abraham that, that you never know when the Lord might show up at your front door is what he's saying. You never know when God might want to speak to you through somebody that's at your dinner table. I'm not talking about in an extra biblical way. I'm just talking about in the sense that his presence might be made more real by your fellowship with others. 
I find it interesting that in Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's talking to them about the final judgment. I don't know about you, but anytime I read about the final judgment, my ears kind of perk up. I kind of want to know what's going to happen on that day, right? It's kind of important for us. I mean, I know that we're in Christ, uh, that everything is all good, but there's still going to be a judgment, he says. So I I want to read to you about this because it has everything to do with how you think about hospitality. Matthew 25, uh, verses 35 through 40. Jesus says this on that day. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or or naked and and clothe you? And when did we see you sick? I, I can't even remember going to prison, right? And visiting you. And then the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is mind-blowing to me because Jesus is more concerned about who comes through my door and sits at my dinner table than he is the amount of good works I can rack up serving in the community. He is so concerned that we see people because the kingdom of God is advanced through people who are friends with God, extending that friendship to the world. Who I extend hospitality to is the evidence that I'm actually in the kingdom, is what he's saying. Who I spend my time with. Now, I don't know anyone who can read Matthew 25 and not be uh, tremendously convicted, right? We read this and we're like, oh my goodness. I don't mean to put you in fear mode. But when you open the door of your heart to let Jesus in when he's knocking, and you choose to open up your schedule and your heart to him, you're going to open up your door. It's just what's going to happen. You're going to open up your schedule. You're going to open up your time. You're going to open up your life because God, you see people as not projects or not time sucks, but you see them as opportunities to experience more of your God because we are image bearers. You know what that means? We all reflect God. If you look around the room, we all reflect him very uniquely in the way that we look, in the way that we're wired, our personalities, the things that we're good at. And we get to know more of God as we experience more of one another. That's how the kingdom of God works. So maybe just ask yourself this week, if Jesus were to come back today and we were to have that Matthew 25 conversation, how would it go? How would it go for you? Because the Lord wants to extend himself into your life so that you can extend your life into the lives of others. Secondly, we see this, that genuine friendship is mutual. This is, I'm kind of riffing off these same eight verses in Genesis 18 here. So God comes to Abraham and, uh, you know, he's hungry. And so he says, hey, you know, I'm gonna do this later, but let me go and do this now. Let me, let me turn that loaf of bread into enough to feed 5,000 people. And let me turn that water into wine. He comes in, he just takes care of business, doesn't he? No, that's not what he does at all. God comes to Abraham and he's in need. God comes to Abraham and he's, he's hot, he's dirty, he's hungry. 
He needs to rest? God doesn't need us, does he? He doesn't need us at all. But he is so kind that he allows us to serve him with our lives. And do you know what serving him with your life is, like we talked about in Romans 12 at the call to worship? It's called worship. This is how we worship God. When we, as friends of God, know that God uses us in his kingdom and we live all of our life before him with all of our possessions at his disposal and all of our time at his disposal as well. We're friends of God. He has full access to all of who we are. God comes to Abraham needy, not because he needs Abraham, but because he loves him. I'm I'm reminded of this passage in Deuteronomy 7 that I absolutely love because I read it whenever I think I'm kind of knocking it out of the park with my own righteousness, you know? You know, you ever have a good day and you're like, man, I was really on point today. Spent an extra 30 minutes in quiet time this morning, gave some money to the guy on the corner, led small group. I mean, today's going, I didn't even, I didn't say any bad words to my coworker, you know? Everything is going great today. On those kinds of days, I read this passage. Here's what he says to the Israelites who may have thought, had a chip on their soldier, shoulder, maybe they thought they were all that. He says, it's not because you were more in number than any of the other people uh, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are actually the fewest of all the peoples. But, and you can underline this in your Bible if you actually have one of those paper things, um, because the, it was because the Lord loves you and he's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God invites us to participate in his kingdom and in the lives of one another because of love. God loves us, and because of that, we get to worship him. We get to worship him with our time, with our singing. I heard you guys singing even through those masks, you know, with our money with our schedules, with our homes, with our tables. All of it is opportunity for worship of the most high God. The Lord wants us. He wants to know us. He wants to use us. Richard Sibbs, a a 16th century Puritan, wrote this about this friendship with God being mutual. I'm going to share it with you here because I can't say it any better. He says, in friendship, there's a mutual consent. There's a union of judgment and affections, and there's a mutual sympathy in the good and the ill of one another, both sides of the coin, as if, it, as if there were uh, be one soul in two bodies. He says, there's a liberty, which is the life of friendship. There is a free intercourse between friends, a free opening of secrets. Some of our worst nightmares right here, right? So here Christ opens his secrets to us and we to him. In friendship, there is mutual solace, solace and comfort um, one in another. Christ delights himself in his love to his church and his church delights herself in, in her love to Christ. Christ's delight was to be with the sons of men and ours is to be with him. There's this mutual nature to our relationship with God. Yet for many of us, it is so challenging to admit that we need the Lord. It is so challenging to bring him anything other than our righteousness. We don't bring him our unrighteousness so he can exchange those filthy rags for spotless clothes like we looked at in that that Puritan prayer as we were praying this morning. 
God wants us to bring his weak, our weakness to him, to acknowledge that we need him. And do you know what happens when you spend time with people? When you, when you say you're friends with somebody, you actually show up in each other's life or you give, I've got a friend that I call probably twice a week and we talk for like 30 or 45 minutes. You know what happens over time? Does the friendship get better or worse? Better, right? You cannot have a solid relationship, a friendship without investing time, without investing energy, without investing ourselves. It has to be mutual. Now, this extends to a mutual friendship with others as well. You know, there's this passage in Luke chapter 11 um, where Jesus sends out some disciples. This is uh, kind of the first short-term mission trip in the Bible, right? Um, Jesus, Jesus sends out his disciples. There's uh, 70 or 72 of them. Scholars debate that. doesn't really matter. But the way that he sends them out is what's so interesting to me. Um, the way he sends them out is he says, hey, guys, I don't want you to pack any extra clothes. I don't want you to take any extra money. Um, and by the way, whenever you show up to announce that the kingdom of, of, of God is at hand, um, I want you to, to knock on the door, announce that. If a person of peace is there, I want you to stay as long as they will have you. I want you to eat whatever they put in front of you, even if it's unclean. Um, and I want you to, to share life with them. I want you to spend time with them. And that is some of our worst nightmares. But the reality is, is unless there's a mutual nature to a friendship, it's not a friendship. And with our friendship with God, unless we know God as a person that's in need, how can we ever experience him as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides? You never can. You, if you always have everything that you need and you never need God to give you anything, how can you know him as the God who provides? We miss out on the character of God. But the reality is we need a lot more than we think we do from God. And that's why his friendship is so unique to us. If I were to tell you that uh, I, could, I, I know a for sure way that you could be blessed by God if you just believed these things or did these things, would you take me up on it? You would, right? You would, you definitely would. Well, if you read in Jesus's basically only big sermon he ever preached, the first thing that he says in it, in Matthew chapter five, is he announces these things that we call the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitudes? The first Beatitude that Jesus comes out of the gate with is he's encouraging this group of Galilean sinners on the hillside as he says, blessed are the poor, not the rich, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus is talking about the mutual nature of our relationship with him. We bring him our poverty of spirit. We bring him our mourning, our inability to grieve in a way that's whole. And he exchanges it for this beautiful, blessed life that only he can give to his people. And I think as Americans, we have the hardest time with this. And I think it hinders our ability to experience the kindness of God's friendship to us because we are told that we have everything we need through the label that's on your paycheck. And it is a, it's a big lie. It's a big lie. Uh, and we trust it. And we have technology that keeps us 
occupied and not lonely. We got money that tries to convince us that we don't need God. But all of it ultimately has an end that cannot fulfill us. Do you need other people in your life? Yes, you do, especially in a pandemic. And I, you know, I don't know where all this is going. I just know that we have to share life together. We have to share life together. I don't know what that looks like for you today, what steps you need to take. But I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say this, I need you and I'm sorry I don't always act like it. Look at him right now, do that. Now I want you to say it one more time and actually mean it. I need you and I'm sorry I don't always act like it. Yeah. Yeah. See, and the reality is, many of us don't even know each other in God's family. You know, we don't know the people that we sit next to at church, and we need them. We need them in our lives because they're image bearers of God, they're reflections of the heart of God. The last thing I want to close with is this we're going to handle that awkward part. Genuine friendship is, is honest. Genuine friendship is honest. Um, you know, this part of the message is so beautiful, but it's so awkward. And you know what's cool about that is that most of your friends are beautiful and awkward too, amen? They just are, you are too. It's beautiful and awkward. So here's what happens uh, in this passage is, is uh, the Lord begins to pursue Sarah. He's, he's never really talked to Sarah before, right? He begins to pursue her and consider her. And he says, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham says, she's back in the tent. Uh, and the Lord says, uh, I'll surely return to you, Abraham, about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, she's gonna have a son. So that whole thing I've been saying, you know, since Genesis 12 is gonna come to fruition next year. It's got a timeline on it, a due date on his promise at this time. And Sarah was eavesdropping uh, like a good wife back in the, uh, in the tent. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and so she hears this conversation going on and the scriptures say Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She was, you know, 90. Um, and so Sarah laughed to herself. Nobody else heard it. She laughed to herself. Um, and, and she says, after I'm worn out and my Lord Abraham, I don't think we call her husband's Lord anymore. I don't think that really happened. But she said, my Lord is old and, you know, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah, so get this, Abraham doesn't know Sarah laughed, right? This is an interesting situation. But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? He's gotta be like, what are you talking about, Lord? Um, and and, and then, then he goes on to tell her what she laughed about. Lord said to, uh, she, she said, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And then God says this, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Consider that question in your own walk with God today. Is there anything too hard for him? At the appointed time, I'll return to you, he says, and about this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. I didn't laugh because she was afraid. And the Lord said, no, but you did laugh. Friendship with God is honest. So over dinner, Abraham and two angels and the Lord are eating this feast. They're sitting under these oak trees because it's hot outside. Sarah's back in the tent. She's living in the misery of an unfulfilled promise. And the Lord meets her 
And she has lived in unbelief for so long because she's had month after month of having a promise and no plus sign on that pregnancy test, right? Month after month. And so it just grows on you. You get weary. Is God gonna come through on his promise? And she laughs. She laughs at him. And uh, he calls her out. Um, but he doesn't turn her to a pillar of salt, does he? No, he doesn't do that. He shows grace to her. We're not sure how he shows grace, but he doesn't bring it back up. But he does want her to know that he knows. And friendship that's not honest is a friendship that can't be built on anything that's truthful, right? This is why friendships that are dishonest don't work. This is why most people can't have friends with people that they work with because there's so much dishonesty that exchanges in our work, right? It's crazy how it works out. But friendship, biblical friendship, is honest friendship. Lying to God and saying that we're being honest is really the only thing that can keep us from experiencing grace and forgiveness. You know that? You can lie to everybody else. But if you lie to God, you're cheating yourself out of the blood of Jesus being washed over your soul. This is why we talk so much about confession to this church. Because it's only if you confess your sin that you get to experience that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all, all unrighteousness. This confession is important. Honesty before the Lord leads to honesty with others, to true, genuine friendship. Now, so big idea, coming back to it, God's covenant love expressed through friendship. I wanna close with just kind of my own personal journey of um, learning to experience God as friend through others. Um, when I look back on my life, um, this theme around friendship um, is just a, just a kind of a monumental thing for me, especially this last year. And it's been both the brokenness and the beauty of it. And what I've noticed is that it's really all pointing to the Lord. My journey with, with uh, having friends experiencing the, the kindness and the closeness of friendship points to what God has for me and who he is to me. And I've struggled tremendously to, to have people kind of the, at that basement level of friendship. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's a few people you can have, people say anyway, you can have this, but you can kind of get like spiritually naked with, you know what I mean? Like where you're, they know everything about you, you know everything about them, and neither one of y'all are flinching. That's the type of friendship that God has with us. He knows everything about us. And if you're just lucky enough, that friendship you have with God can lead to some friendships like that in this world that will remind you of God, that will reflect God's goodness to you. But it's been hard for me because um, in my, especially in the high school years, I played baseball and your insecurities with those guys were always weaponized, right? Um, we were all so insecure in high school that the, the best that it got was the fellowship of sarcasm and cynicism. We, we just couldn't get there. We were all so insecure that sarcasm about each other's weaknesses was, was the closest we got to friendship and fellowship. It was too risky to encourage one another. You know, believe it or not, it's probably actually some of us in the room today that, uh, that it's too risky for us to tell someone we love them or encourage them. And so we just lean toward sarcasm and cynicism. And what we, what we miss out on is the heartbeat of God expressed through another person when, when we're there. So this table was kind of set for me as a kid growing up, uh, just sarcasm and cynicism, and never really opening myself up because it's too risky. And then I became a believer and everything was perfect, right? 
No, we know better than that, right? But I did get to experience some of these elements in two friends that I grew up with. That hospitality of just inviting me into their lives. That, uh, that mutual nature of us being a give and take kind of friendship. And then that honesty uh, that they expressed uh, to me. And, um, and I was supposed to go out with these guys to a basketball party. We were in college at this point. We're going back to the high school basketball game because that was a cool thing to do, right? The big guys on campus. And I was so entranced with God's word that I said, guys, I can't go. And I remember this like it's yesterday. It's the first time that God's word ever hit my heart in such a way that it made me emotional. I'm, you guys don't know me before I cried all the time, but um, that didn't used to be me. And I was reading God's word and I was in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, I was reading God's word about the friendship between David and Jonathan. Now, David and Jonathan, okay, who's, who's Jonathan? Jonathan is King Saul, the first king of Israel's son. David is the new guy that God called out in the shepherd field to be the new king who was basically gonna take whose spot? Saul's spot, but Jonathan's as well, right? So he's gonna take his spot and somehow by... God's miraculous grace, these guys are the best friends the world's ever seen before. It's only by grace that this happened. And I'm reading this and I'm just longing, God, would that ever be possible for my life? Would it ever be possible for me to have such a close friend in my life? And I was reading this passage right here. I'll read it for you. 1 Samuel 20, 41 and 42. And what's happened here is that Saul has become very jealous and angry and he's tried to kill David many times. And this time, Jonathan hears about it, and he hears that there's this, this news that he's really gonna do it this time. And, and so uh, they devise this plan where, where uh, Jonathan will come out in the field behind the palace, and David will be hiding behind a rock, and he'll let him know how it goes, whether basically he's welcome to come in and have dinner at the king's table, or whether he needs to hightail it out of town. And this is the encounter that they have right here. Verse 41, David rose from behind the stone heap, beside the stone heap, and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And the signal had been that you need to get out of town. That this friendship is going to have a huge gap in it now because David has to leave. And they kissed one another and they wept with one another. And I love this. David was weeping the most. And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of our Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and he departed and Jonathan went into the city and that was it. And the promise for them was that the Lord held them together. The Lord is what made their friendship so beautiful. And the Lord, it's because of his friendship with Jonathan that David on down the road when he's the, the most powerful king in the world, the richest, that, that, that he, will, he will reach out to this, this relative of Jonathan's, his name Mephibosheth, right? And he'll bring him in to the table because of his friendship with Jonathan. And he'll be this crippled guy who doesn't look the part, and doesn't belong at the table, but it'll be all because of God's relationship with David God's relationship with Jonathan, their relationship to each other, that that man belongs at the table. And that man is me and it's you. So the one that doesn't belong at the table, yet we get invited to the table. I was sharing my journey with friendship to a cohort of pastors last year that are six of us that have been spending time together. 
And after our, our uh, retreat together, uh, one, of my, one of the guy that leads the cohort, he, uh, he sent a gift to me in the mail. And it was, uh, it was this, this painting here. It's a painting. I'm pretty sure David and Jonathan didn't look like this, but that's okay. But it's this painting of David and Jonathan out in the field together. And what he said to me um, was with hopes that a friendship like this might be more reality than dream for you. And I just, uh, yeah, I just, I loved it because it means so much to me that, that I can even share, you know, my, all right, some, this is going to drive some of y'all nuts here. Don't, don't look, if it's crooked, just don't let that make you take your eyes off the Lord, all right? Uh, I just want to hang it there for you to consider who God is to us and what that means in our world, church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a friend to us, that the first thing you want to do with Abraham after fellowship is restored through the shedding of blood an acknowledgement of that on Abraham's part through circumcision, that the first thing you want to do is get back to what it was like in the garden, to walk in the cool of the day, to eat a meal together, to experience closeness and friendship with the Lord. So Father, I just pray for us in here today as we think about our own friends, um, may we be able to trace it back to our first friend, which was you. Lord, as we think about that, and some of us are convicted, maybe by um, the fact that we don't have very many people that are close to us, but I pray that you'd give us the courage to put ourselves out there, first with you, then with others, to be known at that type of a level, to experience more of your image in this world and in our hearts. And so we thank you, Jesus, that you're not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, that you're our friend. Pray that in Christ's name. Amen.